G'day everyone, it's James Davis from the Paxate Academy again, and this time I've got Dean from Rec for Tech. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Where are you located in this wide world of ours? Look, I'm on the gorgeous Gold Coast, uh, actually on the border of New South Wales and Queensland, in a little place called Tweed Heads. Uh, but in terms of my remit for work, it's it's global. Who doesn't do global these days after COVID, right? Yeah, I've... I love working globally from my little tropical island of Tasmania, so it's always a bit of fun. I'm, I, I'm really excited to have you on. We're going to talk about recruitment and and finding and finding talent um, in a very tight market. And I I keep hearing stories from owners all the time of they've, they've, it's taken ages to get somebody, then they jump on board, and then they're gone in like a day to a month, and they're in this constant cycle. And I'm wondering, you doing this as a living, is that what you're seeing um, around the market? It's funny you say that. Um, I also speak with a lot of owners, CEOs, CTOs across uh, across Australia and New Zealand mostly um, who have a similar story. And my conversation when we're diving into why are these people leaving um, is really to understand what are you providing to retain that talent, um, you know, Historically, probably when we were entering the job market, James, um, salary was really important to us. It was actually about, am I lifting my salary? That'll keep me there. The money's enough. But with things like inflation, you know, the cost of living going up, our mortgages going up, that salary is really important. But what I've seen since COVID and through COVID is that now candidates, so in, especially in a tech market, so if we talk about, say, data analysts or, or IT service providers or IT service engineers and, and sysadmins and whatnot, they, yes, they want money, but they're after a better culture. They're after benefits. And I, funny enough, I actually just wrote a, a contribution to a LinkedIn post uh, this morning around this, and no longer is salary the, the top ticket item. Yes, it's important. And we have to ensure that our salaries are keeping up with inflation, but offering different incentives uh, that work for individuals. So for example, um, a four-day week, and I know that not everyone can do a four-day week, but four-day week is agnostic across um, across the human uh, platform. So whether you're male or female, you know, wh- whether you come from a part of the rainbow, whether you come from a different part of the world, getting access to working four days a week, gives back work-life balance. Um, additional things that I see in the tech space is access to continual learning. Um, I remember doing some some briefings last year for quite a sizable not-for-profit that wanted a data scientist to join their organization. And when I dived into speaking with the data scientists, what were they looking for? Salary was second on the list, but the access to continual professional development was something that they needed. So the way that I build this out to ensure that we were attracting the right people is all of the all of the outbound information. So adverts, LinkedIn adverts and posts and paraphernalia across social media. It actually highlighted that whoever joins this top tier organization will get access to continual professional development. So I think looking outside the the standard, am I offering enough money is really important. And God, I know I'm talking a lot, but something I, I really want everyone to know is that the employee value proposition is more important now 
2023, 2024 than it ever has been. And if you don't know what an employee value proposition is or an EVP, it is what do you provide to your staff internally? So back in the day, it used to be a fruit bowl. All right. So, hey, you can come in, you can have free breakfast and a fruit bowl uh, for lunch and you can have that every single day of the, the, the week and that's really cool. Um, but no longer is a fruit bowl the thing that's going to attract talent and retain talent. I remember an organization uh, here on the Gold Coast, a managed service provider actually, um, pitched me that they had a games room. You know, they had a couple of PlayStation set up with Daytona on it, which three years ago was really, really cool. But now with people not being in the office so often, that's no longer an attractive sell for a tech to join an organization. So we really need to look at different benefits. Um, equal, uh, equal gender parental leave scheme, for example. If you have a parental leave scheme, Let's have a chat. Let's make it equal for male and female. Whoever the primary carer is of that child should get access to that parental leave scheme straight away. And that's of value to everybody who's looking to build a family in the future. Uh, we can look at other components to uh, like reduced hours, flexible working, um, the ability to work two days from the office and three days from home, um, ex what we call extended hours or compressed hours. So extended hours would be your 38 hour week over a four day period or a compressed, a compressed, uh, hours would be five days a week, but only doing five hours a day. So you might do that in between school, uh, school times, for example, for those that are parents out there. So these benefits are what would create our employee value proposition. And if you do have an employee value proposition, why haven't I seen it? As in, I just think you need to be pushing it out to the market, um, every day. Your staff should be commenting on their socials around what, why they're in their organization. I'll tell you right now, I work four days a week. I don't do extended hours. It's not four 12-hour days. It's just four eight-hour days. And everyone that works for me at um, Rec for Tech, they all work four days a week as well. And that's just an incentive that I provide so recruiters that join our organization can spend more time with their family. I hope that answered the question, James. Uh, it's giving a, a lot of enlightenment of the sort of considerations that we, we, we need to put out there to start attracting talent. And I, we circle back to where sort of the question, uh, the whole owners giving us that story that people we've attracted people, someone's joined, someone's decided to take the job offer and then they bugger off in, in under a month. Why are they typically doing that? Okay. Something that I see regularly is that candidates are getting sold the dream that is not actually real. So I think it's really important to be brutally honest when you're going through that screening process uh, than to paint a picture of something that's not real. And I think the operational staff that are on the ground doing the work, so if we're talking about a, a, a TSP or an MSP, those that are actually taking the calls that are fixing the issues should be involved in the recruitment process without the manager at some stage. So round two should be meet the team um, it's a good litmus test for the team to see if they get along. And additionally, it gives that candidate the opportunity to ask the questions that they really want to know. Um, and that will paint a real picture of what's the environment's like, what the work's like, and you'll get a gauge whether that person's a good fit. That makes, that makes a whole lot of sense with, um, basically people actually coming in and seeing the reality and it's not what they were expecting. And there's that sort of expectation, expectation setting and management from the get-go. And you mentioned there, 
multiple phases in the hiring process. Um, I think most people in our industry are requiring people fast. So they try and skip as fast ahead because they, there's talent on the market and then all of a sudden they'll disappear too quickly. What should a typical recruitment process actually look like? What should you, what should you be expecting? How long should you expect it to take, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually a really great question, James, because this is almost like we're going to demystify the talent acquisition process or the recruitment process. It shouldn't be convoluted is my first tip. So we shouldn't be convoluting the process, but we need to plan the process in advance. And I understand that we want to get uh, candidates from the market into our doors really quickly because at the moment there's a, you know, there's a lack of talent and there's a really high need for these skills to be servicing um, these clients or, or internal teams. Um, the first thing I would say is organize your recruitment process. So a general process would be um, you put out your advert. In that week, you have to remember that you've got a seven-day period to offer a top-tier candidate. So let's say, James, you come through my recruitment process on day two. I know that I have to have an offer in front of you within seven days or the chances of you already having three offers is extremely high. And then we're going to be going through negotiation, maybe blowing out budget and having to bend on things that we don't want to bend on. So the recruitment process, we, we put our advertising out, we put our campaign. So our social media campaign, we get all of our friends and our network to share that, to get a bigger reach. And in that first couple of days, while the, ad, while the applicants are coming into the, um, into the CRM or the, or the advertising campaign through Seek or whatever job board you're using, you should be headhunting though the talent that you actually know you want. So for example, I know I want James. So on day one, I will have called James. I would have spoken to James about this opportunity. And then in that call, I would have also asked James if he has any referrals. You know, if James isn't interested in a role that shouldn't be a dead call, James, who else do you know that has a similar skill set to you uh, that might be a good fit for my organization? Here are the five things that we're offering as a benefit. If you want to know more about the business, I can go on about that. But you should always be leading with the benefits and then talking about yourself as an organization. So that's the headhunt process that's running coinciding with the advertising campaign. You should be checking your advert every single day. Don't say I'm going to wait until 30 days when the advert expires and now I'm going to be looking through my 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 list of candidates to see who's good because by the 30-day period 50% of those candidates are now off the market and the 50% are probably still on the market might not be what you're looking for they might be too junior or they might might not be the skilled candidates um, okay so then we want to make sure that we're planning our phone screen so a phone screen should go for about 15 minutes and it should be asking the technical components of your questions and some culture questions so if it's a microsoft house you'd be wanting to understand um, how many years experience they've got with microsoft um, desktop services how long they've been working with the azure product um, what what migrations they've done in the past have they done it have they done a, a um, exchange to to microsoft uh, m365 transfer what were the challenges to do with that process so you can really start to gauge the level of confidence of that person once you've done your phone screens which usually takes around probably three or four days completing that phone screen you're booking the qualified candidates in for interview with you and you should already have set out some holders in your diary for that week so you know that you're not available to go into for internal meetings because you're going to be meeting top candidates 
Um, so first stage interview, you run the interview, um, as you normally would, I'd be really heavily leaning on the culture components and giving the candidate at least a 10 minute intro to the business, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you're not talking about the ugly, you're not going to retain the candidate. You have to be honest, um, because no one wants to get, like you said, James, one day into the process, uh, sorry, one day into employment and that candidate say, look, it's actually not what I thought. I was walking into, you want them to come in with their eyes wide open. So in that week that you're doing your interviews, start booking three or four slots in the following week for your second round interviews with your star, other staff members. Um, get that litmus test, get the staff members to come in. Uh, the direct manager should be involved in the first round interview um, and then colleagues in the second round interview. Now, if you would like HR to be involved, make that the final interview. Make that a culture-based interview where it's just a really casual conversation. Could be done over a coffee for 15 minutes to check that they are going to match our culture within the organization. Um, it's okay to have three rounds of interview. If you're working with, with us, um, we will have done the phone screen. We would have done the first round interview. So we would be sending a technical brief on why that candidate is a good match technically and a culture match for the organization. And then it's over to yourselves to then complete second and potentially a third round interview for that candidate. Um, so that's what the process should look like. Now, the process doesn't finish once you have offered the candidate. You've got a four-week notice period that you need to remain engaged with said candidate or candidates. Engagement means first week, you give them a call and say, I'm so pleased that you're going to be joining us in four weeks. You know, I just wanted to check in. How did the resignation go? Are you feeling Okay. Are you feeling comfortable? What can we do you know, to support you over the next couple of weeks? At the end of that week, send a text message. Super excited. Maybe get somebody else to send a message the following week or give a call the following week. Just want to see if you have any questions about the organization. I'm Sally. I work on the help desk as well. You'll be working with me. Don't worry. I'll support you through your first couple of weeks. So you want that engagement to be continuing all the way through the notice period. Um, and then the last day of work for that person will be highly emotional when they are leaving an organization. You want to send a quick text message, put it in your diary and say, send Dean a text message to say, good luck on your last day. We look forward to having you. Those little touch points will ensure that you've got a highly engaged employee walking into your door on the next Monday. But that would be my top tips. Um, HR can stay in contact for that first week. Um, in their job. So HR just call in, hey, when the check first day went well, at the end of the week, want to check your first week went well. That will again show that you as an organization care about your employee. It, it's very thorough process. And it's uh, what I got out of it for me was it's an experience as for that employee we're setting up that, that new experience. People don't actually like change, even though they're changing jobs. Most people don't actually want to change their jobs that often. Oh, James, text, text is so change adverse and risk averse. Like, you know, if we're talking about techs and devs, like we, we really don't want to have to do something that's uncomfortable. So the fact that an organization is actively trying to support us to be more comfortable already shows us the spots of the leopard. They're a good business. They care. You know, they are staff centric or, you know, centered around their people. And they really do want me to have a good experience. Like you just said, it, it just changes the whole tone of the, uh, of the process. And what I'm curious about, we've gone through that process around recruiting someone, they're showing up first day on 
on the Monday? Do we just dump them in the deep end and let them work this way out? What's that? What should that sort of onboarding process look like? Oh my God, that gives me anxiety just thinking about that. Look how red I've got. Holy cow. No, that would be extremely uncomfortable. Um, uh, one thing that I do is, is I match buddies. So internally in my organization, I'll have a buddy who will join said recruiter on their first day and they will shadow them for the first four weeks. So they have someone that is not their manager and not a, a manager is not a buddy. It is a colleague at a similar level who would be a buddy um, or someone from a different team that can give external advice because it's more about process. What should I expect? The questions that you're going to have in that first week is, where's the toilet? Um, where is, you know, where do I have my lunch? Who should I sit with? You know, who should I steer clear of? Who should not, not that anyone in, our, in any of our organizations would want to steer clear of, but you know, these are the questions that a, a new employee are going to have. Think of it like when we started primary school, all right? When we started primary school, we were matched with a buddy who was normally one year older than us and had been in our class the year before. So they knew our teacher, they knew some of the students and they could actually talk us through. Where, what monkey bars we should swing on, which monkey bars we shouldn't swing on, uh, what slippery dips are the best. Um, we want to bring that same feeling into the workplace uh, to ensure that the transition's a smooth one for the employee. Um, but buddies are a good one. Um, additional, additional support that I would suggest, if you haven't got a onboarding document, uh, which could be as simple as a three-page PDF that has images of the staff, uh, not so much an org chart, but images of, you know, James and his team and maybe a, a, a verbatim uh, write-up from each of those staff members saying, so mine would say something along the lines of, hi, my name's Dean. I'm the director of technology at Rec, uh, Rec for Tech. Um, I've been in recruitment for five years. Um, I love what I do. I've been a technologist for, for 10 plus years. I'm not going to show my age, but um, Outside of work, you'll find me at the football field, barracking on uh, my local football team, or on the weekends, I'll be sitting in front of uh, the TV watching the NRL, potentially with my three dogs. So it gives a bit of a wrap up of who I am, what I do. It qualifies that I am an experienced person in the business, but it also gives a bit of a human element to the onboarding process. And this document would be provided to the candidate once they've accepted a written contract. So they can start doing do some reading about who's in the business, maybe a bit of a statement about who the organization is, why we're in business and what our mantra is, what, why we recruit technology roles and, and what our outcomes are for the clients. Um, so I do this because I actually love our industry. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to help everybody in technology not make the same mistakes that I did. When I first started with my first managed service business like 10 years ago and hiring my friends and my cousins and my family members who maybe didn't turn up to work on time, took advantage of me because I was a little cousin or, you know, all these little, all these little nuances. That's what I'll, that's why I'm in business recruiting is to prevent people from making those mistakes. And that, that would be written in my PDF. What I'm getting, and you've said it a few times, and in, indirectly and directly, is the cultural aspect. And so, when you are looking to recruit talent, what's more important, skills or culture, and aptitude and personality? What what matters? The age-old question. 
uh, culture or skills. Um, look, I think it's a fine line between culture and skills. You can't teach attitude. You can't, you can't teach people to be a good person. It's like the, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You can say we're a good company and we are only, we care about our clients and we're very outcome focused, but you can't teach someone that. So in your screening process, you'll remember when I spoke about screening, I said that there should be those technical questions, but there should be also cultural based questions, which are, are usually more open-ended questions around, you know, how would you XXX? So how, you know, if there was, um, if you happen to see a fight, um, in, in the workplace, what would you do? And it's really gauging the empathy of someone, um, whether they're prepared to step in. We're not looking for someone that's you know, not going to step in or someone that will step in. We're just looking for a really genuine response in those questions. Um, and I can provide you with a list of questions that you can send out to anyone that's interested, James, um, that are really around profiling someone and understanding whether they are a good human. Like I have a policy, like only good humans need apply for any role that I am recruiting. If, if I know in the market that someone is not a good person, I am more than happy to tell that person that I'm not the right recruiter for them. And that goes for businesses as well. If I know that a business has poor culture and they're not prepared to do anything about it, I'm happy to say, I'm not the right recruiter for you. Like I don't need to work with someone that I don't believe in. So my process is I will, you know, for example, if I, if I was screening PAX 8, I would be seeking to understand why you've stayed there for so long, James. I would be speaking to Nathan to understand what he really enjoys about the organization and why he didn't leave after the first day, you know, because those things are more important to me than finding the right skills. You know, if we can match the right culture, that's important. That'll retain someone. You want to get along with your staff members. You want to get along with your team and you could teach skills, but you know that James, you do it every day is then you can teach skills but they have to have the aptitude and keenness to learn. Is there enough, is there enough skills and experience in the industry to actually fill the jobs that are being looked for? Wow. That's a, that's a big one. <laughs> is there enough? Okay. Uh, in the global market? Absolutely. Um, one thing I, I notice a lot with our sort of APAC region and if you've ever seen a podcast of mine, I talk about this all the time. Everyone's really scared of the visa. Like, and I just don't think that anyone should be scared of the visa. As in, there's actually no issues if you can't find the skill here in Australia for a role that requires a highly skilled person. Speak to an speak to an agency, uh, and not a recruitment agency. Speak to it to a um uh uh. uh, uh I can't remember the name of the agencies, but those that bring people into the country, a, a visa agency, uh, showing my English, um, speak to an agency and see what boxes you need to tick so you can get access to a skilled visa holder. So for example, I know that you would need to have been to market once, maybe twice, uh, to try a, different, a couple of different avenues. So you might've had to have engaged a recruiter previously. And all you need is a written document from that recruiter to say that I was recruiting for these five cyber skills or these five, you know, network skills that I couldn't locate in the local market. We would like to move to a visa holder and then you can get access to sponsor a, um, sponsor a visa holder or 
you might be lucky enough to get one of those skilled visa holders that are currently in the market who have until like 2027 available on their visa. That's no risk. If we're, doing, if we're saying that's four years, the average life cycle of an employee is three years, so you get an extra year. So I just say, look, look for, don't be closed off to those that have visas. Partner visas are great ones as well. If you, uh, if you can find someone that's on a partner visa, as long as that partner has a, a visa until, uh, whether it be unlimited or until 2027, so does that partner. The only risk we're taking is that that relationship doesn't work out, but that's, yeah, we're all going to take risks. Um, but definitely don't be scared of visa. So yeah, short, in short, sorry, James. Yes, there is enough skills in the market. We just maybe have to look a little bit outside the box. Um, if you're trying to attract talent, skilled talent, rewind this podcast and go back to the EVP part of the conversation and start to look at what your EVP is so you could be an employer of choice. And what, what would you, what would you say you're wanting to do? Well, how do you make decisions around what your EVP actually is? Uh, like you mentioned a whole bunch of different benefits and there's a whole lot of different options. How do you actually make the decision of what's right for your business? Look internally, um, use, use the staff that you currently have and create a, an environment that is, you know, feedback centric and ask your staff, what do you enjoy about what we do? What do, what outcomes do you like? What don't you like? Like you need to know what people are not enjoying. I can tell you right now, if you're an organization that's five days in the office, the first thing that people are going to say they don't like, shock horror, is being in the office five days a week because all their mates are working three days a week from the office and two days from home and they've got the flexibility on a Monday and Friday to leave that little bit early and pick their kids up from school or pop out to the beach for you know a surf or whatever in their lunch break. These are the things that we need to be asking our staff. What do you like? What don't you like? If we could write a list of things or, or benefits, sorry, not things. If we could write a list of benefits for getting the monetary value, what would be the top five list items that you would put down? Ask each of your staff members to write down what they would like to see as a benefit. You don't need to make decisions straight away. You don't have to say, okay, cool. We can't give everyone a Maserati, uh, but we can give everyone one day off a fortnight um, to go volunteer. You know, or we could do that three times a year. Uh, people are saying they want to volunteer more, but they can't do it on a Saturday and Sunday because they're too busy. That could be part of the EVP. But you have to ask your staff members what they want because every staff member is going to be different. I can tell you right now, I don't have kids. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband. We live near the beach and I'm renovating a house. So the things that I really want access to are going to be really different to Sarah who has four kids, uh, who is the primary caregiver. Those kids are all between the ages of five and 15. So there's different schooling events that have to happen. What sh the access that she'll want to flexibility will be really different to the access that I want. I just want to be able to let the trade in. You know, I just want to be able to let the trade in and know that it would be okay for me to have my camera off if someone's working in my background. Yeah, really simple things. But Sarah might want to start work at seven o'clock, finish at eight, then start again at 8.30 after she's done school drop-off. If you don't have that flexibility, this is the opportunity to have the conversation with your staff members um, to understand what they want. Yeah, and I guess there, like using that example, if the business can't give that 
flexibility in that recruitment process, you can be a lot more clear on that's, that's not an option. These are the benefits that we provide so that you can help the applicants actually make their own decisions and self-select out. Um, we've yeah. self-selection is really important. So I just, I'm sorry to jump in there, James, but I just, what you said around being open with not having a flexible arrangement is equally as important if you are an organization that does have a flexible arrangement in the top kind of three benefit points or the points around the role, when you are advertising a role, um, you might say, okay, um, senior system engineer, uh, 150k plus super number one point 150k plus super permanent role not contract so there's no that candidate is not guessing oh is this just a six-month contract or a permanent role the second point should say three days in the office two days wsh all right so again it's it's there right in front of your front and center so the candidates are aware that they're going to be required to go to the office if you have multiple office locations have that as your third, um, your third sort of point, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane office locations. Now, a candidate is only looking at, or, or someone who's in the job market is only looking at your advert for around about 17 to 20 seconds. They're scrolling on a phone. So when you do create your advert, make it user-friendly for a mobile. Make sure you do use the, um, the dev tools up in the top right-hand corner to check how this is going to look on a mobile. And if in the first swipe, your benefits are not there after the name of the role, change it. They don't need to know how amazing you are until they're engaged with the job, until they know they want the job. Then they want to know how amazing you are. Then they want to know what the organization does. But the first thing that a candidate wants, like all of us, we're all a little bit selfish. We want to know what's in it for me first. And if what's in it for me isn't in the first swipe, that person's moving on to the next yeah, they're swiping right. Uh, is that Tinder? Swipe right? <laughs> <laughs> or swipe left. I can't remember. It's been a while. It's some very good wisdom there. Um, and I, I think a lot of us, especially in the small business side, we don't do recruitment often enough. And a lot of us have had bad experiences with recruiters, whether it's our fault, whether it's the recruiter's fault. We just have bad experiences. So a lot of small businesses go and do it on their own and they don't recruit enough. So they don't, they don't get in, in any kind of rhythm um, with what they're doing. And so what I'm, what I'm curious about is what should you expect from a high quality recruiter? What, what does the engagement sort of look like? What's, what should people be asking when they are looking for recruiters, that sort of thing? Okay, this is that's phenomenal, actually, James. And you, you have painted the right picture there. I will quickly let you know I didn't come from recruitment. Okay, so I didn't wake up one morning when I was eighteen and go, I'm going to go to university and do a HR degree, and I'm going to be a recruiter because that's where I see myself in another twenty years. Um, I fell into recruitment like a lot of recruiters, but I did come from technology. All right, so I was a gas turbine engineer initially. I was in the defence force for eight years. Then I went into technology. I opened up my own managed service. Um, you know, mechanical engineering versus technology. There's still an input, a process and an output. It was an easy transition. Then I worked for a number of MSPs and then fell into recruitment. So my specialization as a recruiter is technology. So I can speak multiple languages and one of those languages is geek. So 
if you're from the technical space and you want a technical human when it comes to an employee, find yourself a technical recruiter. Have a look at their credentials. Um, do some research. Ask the question, What? how did you learn technical recruitment? What was your process when you came into recruitment? How can I be verified that you're going to provide me with a great service? And ask if there's any recommendations. Um, if you look at my LinkedIn, for example, um, there's recommendations on there from some really great names um, who really valued the experience that I gave as a candidate and as a client. And those recommendations are given because of the experience that the client had. So look for those recommendations. Make sure that you're asking a question up front, but don't just get a generalist recruiter to recruit your tech role. If you want a salesperson, get someone who's a specialist in sales. If you want a, I don't know, a, a, a CFO, all right? If you want a CFO, go to a finance recruiter. You don't have to hold one relationship with one recruiter. I personally won't recruit a CFO. Um, I, I cannot use an Excel balance sheet to save my life. So I would refer a bit, let's say James, you said, Dean, could you recruit me a CFO? I would say, look, I'm not the right person. I, I, you want me to get your CTO or CIO? Absolutely. That's my network. That's who I know. You know, if I've held that position before, I can recruit it, but a CFO I wouldn't do. So look for a specialist. Um, the engagement style really comes down to your appetite for me. I will only engage on what we call a retained basis. So I get paid for milestones, which engages me so I can give all my time to Pax8 or to any other organization. And the reason I do this is because we are a small market. I don't want to, I don't want to be presenting candidates that any other recruiter has already presented because then we're fighting for the market share and that muddies the water candidates get a mixed message of of who they're getting employed by through who they should be calling who they should be con conversing with for me i'm a what i build a relationship and a partnership and i'd be asking that question with with the recruitment agencies if you feel that it's important to go to multiple agencies talk about that with the agency or the recruiter up front because some won't and some will have some really great insights for you to have a conversation around the why are you doing that? For me, it just muddies the water. I've been in too many situations where I've been against three other recruitment agencies. We've all presented the same candidate and I've just walked away. I've said, look, don't worry about paying me a fee. Like I said, I don't actually want to be involved in this situation. But if you want to recruit with me in the future, just come directly to me and we'll have a chat. Um Specialist, specialist, specialist would be my closing remarks on that. Look for a specialist. That's that's awesome advice. I think everyone gets sucked into the generalist because it makes sense, right? Like if you're a small business, it, it is easier to have that one-stop shop, but it's a bit like our technology industry. We're, we're becoming more specialized. We can't be a jack of all trades and master of none anymore. And if you want to get the good results, being uh, working with a specialist partner makes a whole lot more sense. No one's going to employ, employ an AWS specialist for an Azure network, right? They might try. We might not get the <laughs> right outcome, but... If you are doing that, give me a call. I'd love to hear how it's going. <laughs> I can feel your passion. We could be, we could talk about this all day. Um, this, and we've only covered the surface level of, of all of this. And we've covered a whole bunch of uh, components to the recruitment process. What do you want people to walk away from today? What do you want that major takeaway to be? And 
what should people go and do if they've listened to this and they, they're seeing all their holes? Where should they start? The first thing I'd say is make sure you plan your talent acquisition process or your recruitment process. Don't go in half cocked. It's going to end up in disaster. Um, I coach on this every day. Um, and I, I give free advice all the time. So if you are thinking, oh, I don't know what my plan should look like, I'm happy for you to reach out. And I am very comfortable to share my information with everybody because I think we can all win that way. Um, if you are looking to engage with a recruiter, so it's second takeaway, make sure that you find a specialist within that space. So if it's tech sales, go to a tech recruiter. If it's technology uh, administration or development, go to a tech recruiter. If it's a CFO, go to a finance recruiter. If it's an, you know, finance admin, go to a finance person. Don't expect the same furthest from the one recruitment brand and be, and be happy to interview recruiters and actually have a conversation around what you want to achieve and see who's best aligned to your business. And the third takeaway is have fun with the process. Like it's really exciting that you're growing your business and you're employing people or you're replacing a role because someone's moved on to their next adventure. This should be an exciting time for every business when you're doing talent acquisition or recruitment. Have a bit of fun with it, you know, enjoy it and and, and don't look at it like it's a hindrance. This time that you invest up early will be paying dividends for years. Um, and don't forget, if you haven't got an EVP employee value proposition, start talking to your staff today and understand what they like and what they don't like about the organization. And if they could have five benefits, what would those five benefits be? And see what the common thread is between all your staff. Be cool. If you'd like me to uh, support you with that, I've got some easy forms that I can send out to you as well that you can send out to your staff. So feel free to give me a tap on LinkedIn. Awesome. I, I, I hope everyone's learnt a whole lot from, from this session. I've, um, found it fascinating what you just wrapped up there around, like treat this as an enjoyable experience. I think as small business owners, a lot of the time we see recruitment as a burden, um, and it's, it's taking us out of the day to day. So my, my advice too, is especially in small business, if you're not recruiting all the time, you still need to be looking at this and keeping those sort of practices up to date, you know, keep your EVP refreshed, make sure you're looking at your um, recruitment process. You're looking at your onboarding process and keep them alive. It's a bit like an incident response plan. Um, because if we don't, if we don't have one in the first place, when we need it is the worst time to try and build it. And if it's not live and you're and alive and fluid, and we're not continually revisiting it and reviewing it. It's going to become static and then we're going to be outdated and then we, it's going to cause us more issues. So it doesn't take a whole lot of time to think about this and spend some time investing on it, but it, it will pay off when you, when you need it. So it's been awesome to have you on Dean and no doubt we'll have it, have you on again in the future. Thanks for all your wisdom today. Anyways, cheers.